I mean, that's why we're here, is to see people. And the cool thing about it is that's something that God spoke to Bud. I mean, just to get that. I mean, it took me so long to figure that out. He, he called me and he starts explaining it to me. And then he gets to the end. He goes, am I crazy, man? Am I crazy? He's like, is that he? And I was like, Bo, if I drew a bullseye and I said, hit the target, I said, you hit it right in the center. And I mean, this is something that he got. I mean, to think of the fact that, that um, we, we can do it on our own. I mean, if you can live a perfect, absolutely 100% perfect life, then you can get there. But uh, unfortunately, we can't do that. But God made a way for us through his son. And that's absolutely, positively awesome. I want to do something a little different this morning. Usually the time when Sean does the offering is our interactive time. But I want to get us talking just a little bit first off. And then I'm just going to talk. No, I want to talk to you just briefly, ask you some questions. Because one thing, I was down at Lakeland this week and had a lot of time to pray and think. I had a lot of things confirmed. Um, in me this week about what we're doing, where we're going. Um, but I also found out I was disillusioned about a few things that have to do with the church, uh, specifically with our culture in the United States today. Um, I knew things were bad. I don't think I knew they were this bad. And so I want to ask you some questions, and any brave souls who'd like to volunteer and ask uh, uh, and answer these questions, um, feel free to do so. I really want this to be an interactive time. So I just want to ask you a few questions and just... See if you maybe are where I was in your thinking. The first one is this. In, in the United States, how many people say they believe in God? Some of you may be seeing emails, Lee. 86, anywhere from 80 to 90 percent. The, the surveys say that 80 to 90 percent say they believe in God. So here's the thing. How many of you sit around at night watching Fox News or watching CNN or whatever you watch and you're seeing all of the stuff that's going on in the United States today, and you go, how can we be doing this if 80 to 90% of the people believe in God? Have you ever done that before? I've done that a hundred times because that statistic looks so overwhelming that we're a God country, you know? But the thing is, when you begin to look at it a little further, you begin to see why our culture is where it is. Let me ask you this question. What was the last year that 50% of Americans claimed, now not attended, claimed to go to church 50 percent the last year 1954 you think it's worse than it actually is okay that's a that's a little bit too far back anybody else 2003 you're thinking more along my lines you're still no way down what'd you say lee said in the 70s 1971 was the last year that 50% of the people... And listen, that is claim to go to church. And back then, you got to think it was the thing to do to go to church. So that when somebody asks you, oh, yeah, I go to church every Sunday, you know? But they actually say that about 32% were actually attending. Is that not mind-boggling? I'm not real good at math, but that's like 38 years ago. Right? Did I do that right? Uh, yeah, 38 years ago that people... That was the last time that you could truly say we were a Christian nation was in 1971. Let me ask you this. Out of every 20 churches, how many are growing because of conversions? Not transfer growth. In the United States, how many churches are growing because of conversions? How many out of 20? 3%? So that would be 6 out of 20. That was pretty, that was pretty quick. That was like bam, bam. Huh? Is that... Man, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, so like, not three out of 
10 then. Not 30%, 3%. So it'd be like 1. One out of 20. Y'all translate. This is the gift of interpretation. <laughs> so one out of 20 churches. That's, that's actually right. One out of 20 churches in the United States are growing not because people are leaving another church and coming to their church, but they're growing because people are coming and getting saved. Now listen to this. Um, what is the number one answer in hospitals today when they're asked about their religion? You know how you go and you check into the hospital. If you're going to be admitted, they say, what's your religious preference? What would you say the number one answer is in the United States today? Baptist? It is actually none. The number, over 50% of people today when they check into a hospital say none. No religious affiliation at all. How many churches on average, this will blow your mind, how many churches on average close every day in the United States? Every day. Three? Three? Anybody else want to guess? You want to guess? In the hundreds? Not quite, man. You're like, you just, we're we're just, (laughs) actually 24. 24 churches in the United States close every day. That means we're closing one church an hour. Guess how many churches are started in Africa every day? 24. One an hour in Africa. Exact opposite of what's happening here. Last one is this. What country has become, and this is a no-brainer. Everybody gets 100 on this one. But what country has become the third largest mission field in the world today? The United States. The only countries that have more lost people are China and India. Is that not crazy? The third largest mission field. But here's the thing. And, and this is, I'm sitting there listening to this guy talk about these statistics, and I'm going, that's not, I live in South Georgia. I live in the Bible Belt. I mean, I am in rural South Georgia. So I know this can't be true for Statesboro. So I go on, and, and we've got Wi-Fi there, so he can't see what's on my computer. So I'm Googling, and I'm starting to look up statistics for Statesboro and for Bullitt County. And this is the thing. Let's bring it home, because I know good and well we've got to be better than the national average, right? Because we're Statesboro, Georgia. Everybody's a Christian in Statesboro. All right. So what percentage of people in Statesboro claim to be religious? They have some, not just Christian, some type of religious affiliation. 95%. See, Ryan, you think like I do, and you're absolutely wrong. 50%. Still too high. 30. 30. That's close. Between 30 and 40. It's about 34% of people claim to be religious, to have some type of a religious affiliation. Is that not crazy? Does that not blow your mind to think? How disillusioned are we about what's going on? Now, this is what percentage of people in Statesboro claim to be Protestant? 90%? 30, 31%. 31% of people claim to be a Protestant Christian. And see, this, we think this is wild, but I guarantee you if we just said, okay, let's scrap the service and let's go get in the cars and let's just ride around town. Let's ride around the blocks around the church. And let's look at it. I guarantee you right now, one in three people are outside, or two out of three people are outside their house, washing their car, cutting their grass, working in a flower bed, sleeping in. I guarantee you. I mean, we just, we've become so disillusioned that we think, what we think about the country and our culture is just not true. It's just not the same. So this is the, the thing that I looked at, that the population of Statesboro is probably around 26,000 without students throw students in it's more that's probably counting a few students but the up-to-date statistics are there's about 26,000 people in Statesboro 40 to 45,000 with students now I did this math so if it's wrong you have to correct me 
But that means that there are about 31,000, somewhere probably between 28 and 32,000 people in Statesboro, Georgia today who are lost as a ball in high weeds. They absolutely have no clue who Jesus Christ is. Now, my question to you today is this. What percentage of that can we change? How big of a difference can we make? See, people are hungry for spiritual things, but we've got to be willing to give them the truth. We've got to be willing to love them into that. I was thinking about that, you know, we live in such a difficult place because this guy who was teaching was from Washington State. And, and one of the reasons I didn't think the statistics were true is because Washington is not just a long way away from here, but it is a long way away from our culture. It's a lot different. And he said that they're four generations away from people who even know who Jesus was in Washington. We live in a place where we maybe have one generation who, who's really postmodern. You know what I mean? We're just really moving in that, that new postmodern way. It took us a little longer to get to that place. So we live in a place where people have heard it just doesn't mean anything to them. So I think it's a little bit more difficult in a place where people have heard than in a place where they've never even heard the gospel. So we've got our work cut out for us. But I just believe as I was looking at those statistics, I believe that God put in my heart that we could raise the percentage, that we could make, do a kingdom work in this town to bring people to know the Lord and to just to be filled with his love and just to come to know him in a real way. I just, how awesome would it be that five, ten years from now, we go back and we look at that statistic, and instead of 31%, it says 45% or, or 41% or whatever the percentage is. And we can look at that and go, my goodness, look what God did for the kingdom. I tell you, part of me was really upset when I saw it because I thought, we're done. That was my first reaction. What are we going to do? And then all of a sudden, it clicked in me, and I, was, I started getting excited because I was like, my goodness, what an awesome opportunity we have to do a kingdom work here in Statesboro, Georgia. What an awesome opportunity. So now when somebody asks you, why in the world would you start a church in Statesboro, Georgia? We've got 100 of them. You can say because about 69% of the people in Statesboro don't know who Jesus is. And somebody needs to get the word out there. And we're going to be a part of that. And so that we're going to begin to see people saved and, and converted. People who haven't been in church, getting in church. People who don't know the love of God, coming to know the love of God. And today I want to talk to you briefly about that. Um, because here's the thing. If we're going to do this, we have got to know what the purpose of the church is. I believe we have become so disillusioned about what the church is in our culture, that we need to go back and begin to set straight what is the purpose. Because Christ stated it very clearly. The scripture tells us our purpose very clearly. And so I want today to be able to go and us begin to start looking at that, okay? If you have your Bibles, turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3. And this is where we're going to be today. Today, what I'd like to do is, is begin looking at this disillusionment about what the church is and who it's for and, and kind of how we're operating. And, and sort of like if you were looking out a window that was fogged up, you know, like you're riding to work and it's raining and it just gets all fogged up. It's like we've been looking through this thing, so we're not seeing clearly. And today, my prayer is that we'll begin to wipe that off, that we'll begin to get a clear view of what the church is, who it's for, how it's supposed to function. And today I want to start by talking about what the church is not. 
I want to go ahead and, and let's just begin to take everything that the church is not and begin to set it over to the side so that we can begin to see clearly what the church actually is supposed to be. And then I want to spend the next five weeks after this, we're going to talk about the purpose and the mission of this church and, and what we're about, what the, the scripture tells us we're about. And we're going to begin to move forward so that we all come to the understanding of who this is, what we are and who we're about and what we're about. And so we're going to record these and we're actually going to try to put together a series of it. If you miss one of these uh, next five weeks, I want you to get this because I believe it is that important that we begin to discover who, who we are. If you miss and you, you can come and tell us you need such and such date CD and we'll get it for you because you need to hear this. This is what we're going to be about. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's, let's pray and then we're going to start reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, today let it sink into our hearts. God, I thank you we've already had an awesome day, but Lord, I thank you that you're not done yet. Uh, God, I thank you that you remove blinders and anything that's keeping us from seeing the true intent and heart of what you wanted the church to become. Lord, move these, remove these obstacles from our way that we can, can become exactly what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right there in, in chapter uh, 3 of 2 Corinthians, I want to read to you verses 1 through 3. And then I want to tell you the first thing that I believe we've become uh, a little disillusioned about the church in. It says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Paul, right here real quick, Paul is defending his apostleship. He's having to defend who he is, who God put him there to be. These people came to know Christ through Paul, and yet now he's having to say, listen, don't you remember that, that, that your, your life, your very salvation is because of the apostleship that God gave me. And so he's having to reaffirm who he is to these people and reaffirm the mission of the church. And he goes on and he says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The first thing that the church is not, and that we've gotten so confused about, the church is not an institution. The church is not an organization. So we become so confused that, that the church is what happens in here. We become so confused that the church is the building so that when we're coming to worship on Sunday morning, what do we say? I'm going to church. And I guarantee you, even for those of us who've heard this before, the thing that we think about when we hear the word church is not the people who are going to be at the building, but we think about the fact that we're going to the building for worship. So we've got to begin to see that the church is not the building. It's not the grounds. It's not the auditorium. It's not whatever you can make it. It's not the things in the building. The church is you and I. The church is the body of Christ. The church, see, we've got to, if we're, listen, if we're going to make a difference in this community, then not me and not Chuck and not Allison, not Susan, not Chad, not a couple of you, all of us are going to have to realize that we are called to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we're not an organization. We're not something that's just built so that we can ride by and go, look, there's Connection Church. We're not something to try to one day build this great auditorium so that we can ride by and go, look at how much we've grown. It's so that we can impact the lives of individuals. It's so that we can realize the responsibility. And you know that one key to every great team is every great team feels responsible for the whole. 
so that we begin to see that, you know what, I might be a hand, I might be a foot, I might be a nose, I might be an ear, I might be a mouth, but I'm still responsible to help people come to know the Lord. We're all called to be ministers of the gospel. See, I get to stand up and do it this way on Sunday morning. This is one of the ways. But it's not because there's some hierarchy that makes me better than anybody. It's just what God called me to be. And the Bible says that we give greater honor to the lesser vessels, to the lesser parts of the body. So that there's, there's no hierarchy of, of who's better, who's more important. We're all important. And if we don't get this, we'll never make that percentage go up from 31%. If we don't begin to see the fact that, that you are gifted, called, enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel. Listen, there are people in this community that I'll never reach. There are people in the community that, that won't identify with me necessarily, but they'll identify with you. I'll give this example because I don't think they'll mind. But I want to, Bo, can I use you for an example? A month ago, I didn't know Bo. Never knew him. But I knew Miss Helen. But a year ago, I didn't know Miss Helen or somewhere around that. But I knew her daughter. But two years ago, I didn't know her daughter. I just knew some of her daughter's friends. And so I get to know Anna through some of her friends. God begins to move in Anna's life. Miss Helen sees it. She begins to see the results of God moving in Anna's life. She says, I want some of that. So she begins to come to church. She knows Bo and says, hey, Bo, why don't you come to church? And now we have Bo's testimony on Sunday morning. But you know, there's a good chance that I never would have connected with Bo the way I've connected with Bo had it not been for Anna's friends, Miss Helen, and uh, Anna herself. So that literally there became a bridge of somebody that I touched went and touched somebody else who touched somebody else who touched somebody else and today we had the testimony of it. You see how that happens? I was praying one day. I'm outside talking to Sean and, and Allison and I look at this building. You can think it's crazy if you want to. I literally saw bridges coming out of this place and bridges going into different communities and touching people's lives and changing lives. And the most amazing thing was I was like, God, that is so awesome. But how are we ever going to do it? And this week, I got it. I realized that it is through changing somebody's life who changes somebody's life who changes somebody's life and then you reach this person who there was such a distance between you that you might not have ever closed that bridge. And you know the cool thing about it is God has always used people to build the bridge to Him. He did it with Jesus. That was a great chasm. And yet Jesus said, I'll just lay across that thing so you can get to God. And so that God is going to use each one of us. But if we view the church as an organization and a hierarchy, that, well, the, the pastor, he's just going to preach. And, well, you know, it'll never happen. Because we are called all to be ministers of the gospel of Christ. And I'm telling you, God will use you in awesome ways to bring people to the Lord. And if we'll begin to step in faith, we'll see it. Some things in the kingdom of God we don't see, we don't know until we begin to step in faith. And then you see it and you go, wow, the word of God is really true. You know, it's like tithing. Oh, I can't give my 10%. Well, the Bible says that if you'll give, you know, God will open up the windows of heaven, pour out such blessing, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but I don't know, you know. And then you give a check, and the next week it comes back, and it's doubled. And you go, my goodness, that stuff actually works. You mean God's Word's true? I always heard it, but it's sort of just like hearing the, you know, uh, about Santa Claus. But when we begin to do it, man, listen, the gospel still works today. Amen. It is still powerful and effective. The next thing is this. And I'll say this real quick. This is awesome. Because Paul tells the, the Corinthians, he says, listen, you're my letter. You're my letter written 
on tablets of stone. We've got to realize that we are the letter of God. Think about that. God has written a letter to the community of Statesboro, Georgia, and it's written through you. So the question then becomes, what kind of message are we telling people God's sending? You see what I'm saying? That God's desire is to write a message of love, of grace, of hope, of mercy, of relationship. But what kind of message is He sending through us? Are we really being the letter that God intended? So that we have to come and realize that God's going to write the word. He's going to write the message through us. The next one is this. In verses uh, 3, 4 through 6, it says, Such confidence as this is, is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Second thing is this, we're not a perfect place with perfect people. I don't know what happens, but somehow we can be the raunchiest sinner. And we come to church and we get saved. And two years later, it's like we forgot where we came from. You know what I mean? It's like I was talking about worship last week when I was talking about how I finally raised my hands in worship. And it was like the most awkward feeling I ever had. But then like the next week, I couldn't understand why everybody else wasn't raising their hands. We do the same thing. Chad and I, um, who's just been like my armor bearer through so much of my Christian walk, we go on the walk to Emmaus. We come back, and we had been the worst. I mean, when Paul says the worst of sinners, he hadn't seen us yet. You know what I mean? And so we go, we come back, and the next week, we cannot understand why people aren't living like we are. Did we not? I mean, it is absolutely true. And for about a year and a half, we just were the most judgmental, condemning people. I don't know how Susan lived with me. She, you know, it's just the most amazing thing because one week, we're just the worst of sinners. And the next week, we think we got it all together. And we can't understand why nobody else has it all together. But we've got to realize that we, even on our best day, we're still sinners saved by grace. If you live a perfect day, it's only by the grace of God empowering you to do so. I mean, seriously, if you lived a perfect day, so that we realize that God is ever transforming us, but we're not there yet. And when we begin to see ourselves clearly, not in a condemning, listen, it's not in a condemning way because he says we've been made competent through Christ. We have been made competent. But we've got to realize that our competency comes through him. It should also encourage us that when we go out into the world, when you go into your job, when you go, it doesn't matter if you've got theological training, you know the love of God and you can tell people about it. You can share it. You can love them. And, I'm, you know, and we always say, well, I'm just not a, I don't want to tell people. I, you know, because people are shy. But listen to me. God in you will be bold. And God in you will be courageous because he has made you competent. And we remember that this person that cusses like a sailor. And, and just, I, there's a guy I know who, he, he cusses around me just to see if he can get me upset. I don't know if you've ever had anybody. He'll come in and just start dropping all these bad words around me just to see my response and I just like smile and the whole time I'm thinking God help me <laughs> you know I'm like just praying for him under my breath I'm like oh Lord he's lost his ball in high weeds help him God and you know and, and but he just does but you know what I love him through it and it stretches me because I'd like to stand up and say thus says the Lord that will burn in hell if you do you know what I mean because that's, I'm just like oh, he's just cussing around but I realize that's not God that's not God's heart he doesn't want that it very well could happen but he doesn't want it and so I just have to love this guy through it. And, and, and I love him and I love him and I love him. And, you know, one day 
It's going to break through. And buddy, when he gets it, he, he's going to be a puddle on the floor. I'm just telling you, when he realizes the love of God. But we've got to realize that, one, God's made us competent. And two, you know, our, our, uh, our perfection is not as perfect as we sometimes think it is. You know? I think if we took a poll of the people that know us the best, they could testify to the fact that we've still got a little growing today. But the good thing is that God has taken us through that. The next one is this, in verses 17 and 18. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, now listen to this, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Listen to this. The church is not designed, it was never created, to be a spiritual hospice. Listen, we, we have experienced firsthand the grace and the awesome ministry that hospice provides. Because people who are terminally ill, they go in and they comfort them until they pass. And we've experienced that. And it's great ministry. But I'm telling you, the church is not designed to be a place for you to come get comfortable and die. Does that make sense? The church is a place for you to come and be challenged. The church is a place for you to come and be stirred. You might feel stirred. I feel stirred. I just feel like we're going to just do something awesome that only God can do. I just believe that with all my heart. I'm telling you. And so that we come to a place of realizing that when we come in here, man, it is a celebration. It is to hear the word. It is to be reaffirmed. It is to go out and begin to change Statesboro, Georgia and beyond. And this is what it says here. It says that we are being transformed. Listen, it's not something that you will be transformed. It's not just in the twink, blink of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, that we're all raised and that we're all transformed. God says you are being transformed now. And the cool thing about it is it says with ever-increasing glory. So that it's not something that we just come in and, and we, we have this certain plateau where we get to and we go, okay, I'm there, I'll just coast on in. And we are ever being transformed. The most awesome thing about God is you can never grasp all of him. Every time you get to a place of thinking, man, I got it. He goes, oh, no, let me show you this. I heard a guy who said one time, and I don't know about this, but it was a cool thought. He said that he believes when we get to heaven and we're just all saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Or we're just praising God. You know, we're worshiping God. He says that every time that we, we, we get up off our knees and begin to look up at, at God, that he's just going to go, Whoa. And just show us another color or show us another facet or show us something else because he's just so infinite and so awesome that, again, we just fall on our face and go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. How awesome is that, man? That is so good. The thing about God is so big and so awesome that we'll never, ever, ever stop increasing in glory. And that when he puts the weight of his glory upon you and you walk down the street of Statesboro, you go into your place of business, that the weight of the glory of God is resting upon your life and people cannot help but being drawn to it because the glory of God will draw sinners like light will draw a moth to it, to the light. You see what I mean? There's something that is just irresistible. It's like eating a whole bag of potato chips without anything to drink. You just got to get some water, you know? 
used to do communion with these little crackers. And, and I would always, every time I was doing communion and leading it, I would always drink the juice and it'd become time to eat the cracker. And I'd always pop the cracker in my mouth and I'd start chewing it. And now I've already drank the juice and I've eaten the cracker and the cracker is just like, mm, and then I have to talk some more. So I had to learn, you know, to stick the crackers and stick it in my pocket and eat it later. But it's like that for people who don't know the Lord. It's like, you know, it's just like eating that cracker and you're just dying for something to drink. You're trying to talk. You're trying to live life. You're trying to do all this stuff and you just can't do it because it's just like your mouth's all stuck together. It's like life is all stuck together and it's all just in this glob of goo and junk. And God goes, listen, if you'll come to know me, I can take care of all of that for you. I'll straighten it out. It's like taking my little boy fishing. We spend more time untangling knots than we do fishing. But you know what? I'll untangle them all day long. Because I love you. And God is the same way. And when people begin to see that aspect in our life and see that you are being transformed, see it as ever-increasing glory, then God will begin to reach them as well. The next one is this, over in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 12. And then I want to read 5, 15, and 16. It says this, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed we always carry around in our body the death of jesus so that the life of jesus may be revealed in our body for we who are alive are always being given over to death for jesus's sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body so then death is at work in us but life is at work in you and then verse 15 in chapter 5 says this and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Listen, the church is not a place to cater to the needs of those on the inside. That goes contrary to thinking. Listen, don't like mass exodus because I believe your needs will be met. We're going to take care of those people who come to this church. I promise you. That's one reason for membership is so that we know who we're responsible for because we want to make sure that if they need something, we're there. But the church for too long has turned to the inside instead of to the outside. You know, one thing I have found is that if I'll begin to worry more about the needs of somebody else than my own needs, my needs seem to always get met. You know, I was down at Lakeland and I went to eat dinner. I actually had somebody ask me to go eat dinner. Usually I eat by myself. Everybody say, oh, yeah, yeah. I usually go eat by, but somebody asked me to go eat dinner with them. And so I'm sitting there with these three guys and, you know, you get down, you know, and there's times when I'm just like, oh, you know how we all do. We can all throw a good pity party sometimes. And I'm sitting there, and this guy named Darren says, Gary, why don't you share your testimony about how God brought you through that time in your life? He starts talking about how his wife got killed in a car wreck, and he raised four children. All of them serve God today. And he was just talking about how he dealt with it and how he went through the loss. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, gosh, I'm like trying not to cry. I'm just like, it's, it's horrible. And I feel it. It's like, you know how you get when you start, you start getting like that. I, was, I had that going. And I was like, I can't cry at the table. And so I'm just, but I'm just, my heart is just hurting for this guy. And then he goes, and then the other guy next to me um, named Danny, he looks at me and, and he goes, I've never told you my testimony, have I? And he starts telling me about how his wife had left him at the a pinnacle in their ministry. She had been right there beside him through all of the ministry, through all of these things and, and had, had just been right beside him and how, how she was there. And then one day she said, I want to preach on Sunday night. He said, okay, it was kind of odd because she kind of backed away from the ministry. But she preached that night. They got home. She said, I'm out. I'm done. I'm leaving. And I began to think. I was like, my goodness, it ain't, it ain't so bad for me. I got it good. 
I'm at the table. I'm like, God, thank you for your blessings. Like, no, we already said the blessing. I'm like, no, I got to say it again. Because it was just, I was like blown away by the things that people deal with. And I began to see if I look at the needs of other people, and I'll begin, man, my needs will be taken care of. God will meet my needs. He'll do it every time. So that when, when we begin to look at these folks, I mean, it, my, my heart was wrenched for them. And yet God, the cool thing is, God restored the marriage. About three years later, they got back together and, and God restored it. And today they work in ministry again. But I mean, just the testimony of what God brought them through. And, and I begin to see, man, you know, we need to be thankful for every day. But we have to begin to look to the needs of other folks and realize that, that, uh, that it's not so much about us. Paul said here, he said, listen, we're dying. We are pouring ourselves out. Everything we got, we're giving to you. And it may mean death for us, but it's life to you. So if we have to go through hell and high water, I'm going to tell you what, we're going to deliver the love of God to you. Because it's so real to us. We've got, we've got to make sure you know it too. So we've got to get to a place of realizing that I'll give everything I have just so other people come to know Christ. If I got whatever I got to do, people are going to know the love of Jesus. You know, the love of God will take you beyond the awkwardness of sharing your faith. When we begin to realize how much God loves us, the awkwardness is not such a big deal anymore. And here's the last one. Over in chapter 5, 16 and 17. It says, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, one of the most awesome things that I believe God will do through this ministry and through His love is a reconciliation of people from every walk of life. Of people who are white, people who are black, people who are Asian, people who are Hispanic, people who are rich, people who are poor, people who have a lot, people who have nothing, people who have been in church all their life, people who maybe they walk through the door for the first time. Because in God, in Christ, there is no prejudice. And there is no exclusion. And when we begin to realize that, we can make an impact. We can do awesome stuff. We can change the world. We can change. Because listen, I want to tell you, and we'll start looking at, at what our mission is next week. But I want to tell you, when we begin to pull ourselves into alignment with God's purposes for his church, power comes. When you look at Second Corinthians and you look at, I mean, it's, Acts, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, and you begin to see in those verses, how many times do we read them? They shared everything in common. They prayed for them. They devoted themselves to Scripture. Verses 42 through 48, I believe it is. We read them all the time. And it says there were miraculous signs. There were wonders. There were all kinds of things happening. But why was it happening? They were in line with the mission of God. They were being what God called them to be. And if we'll get to the place where we'll do that, if we will get to the place where we'll do that, man, I am telling you, God will do awesome stuff. But see, it doesn't just happen with me. I'm not the head. I'm a part of the whole. Our head is Jesus. See, we're a bunch of little pieces that are bound together under the headship of Christ. So that when we unite, man, it is a powerful, powerful thing. And we're going to look the next five weeks over 
What are we doing here? Why do we, what, what really is the purpose of the church? And I want to show you because in that same 2 Corinthians, Paul says, the love of Christ compels me to preach the gospel. And I want to show you five things over the next five weeks that the love of God will compel us to do and to fulfill the mission of the church. Amen.